It's good to see you. The first lesson comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. The psalm's taken from Psalm 29, and it will be read responsively. Ascribe to the Lord, you gods, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord splits the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And in the temple of the Lord, all are crying, glory. The Lord shall give strength to his people. The Lord shall give his people the blessing of peace. The second lesson comes from the book of Romans in chapter 8. Brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him, 
so that we may also be glorified with him. This ends the lesson. Would you rise please for the reading of the Holy Gospel? The Holy Gospel according to John in the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace, my sisters and brothers, from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You probably all know the famous story of how St. Patrick, when he was asked to explain the Holy Trinity, took a shamrock and used that shamrock to draw a picture for his listeners of this almost unexplainable entity called the Holy Trinity. Well, today we have gathered to celebrate the festival of that same Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. The trouble is that while I am named Patrick, I am far, and this may come as a shock to some of you, I am far from being a great saint. And in addition, I don't have any shamrocks to help me paint a picture of the Trinity for you today. But I do have this cross that I moved from by the altar to over here. And I want to use this cross as a symbol for the Trinity. 
Now, we don't often think about the cross as a symbol of the Trinity, but look at this vertical beam that goes straight up and down. It symbolizes God the Father, the Creator, the transcendent being who is above all, the God who is the object of our prayer and our praise, our joys and our sorrows, and most often our supplications. But this vertical beam also comes down, it comes down, which is representing how God is reaching out to us, calling us into relationship with him. The vertical beam, therefore, represents the Father. But in order to sustain that vertical relationship with God, we need the Holy Spirit, who extends horizontally, which is where we see the very heart of the cross, which is Jesus Christ, at that point of intersection between the vertical and the horizontal. In the center is Jesus Christ himself. So while the cross is not a shamrock, it is a wonderful symbol for the Trinity. For surely every time we make the sign of the cross, and yes, let me say now, Lutherans do make the sign of the cross. Martin Luther said, when you rise in the morning, make the sign of the cross. When you go to bed, make the sign of the cross. When we make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we are not just naming three separate persons, but rather three persons in one God, which we name the Holy Trinity. But how do we come to understand this Trinity? Part of the difficulty lies in the fact that too often when we think of God, we think solely in terms of God the Father. And in some ways that is to be expected. After all, as I just said, we pray to God as Father. We begin our creed by stating that we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Even Martin Luther begins the explanation to the first article of the Creed with these words, I believe that God created me and all that exists. God the Father is overwhelming. God the Father is transcendent. God the Father is glorious in both majesty and power, as we heard from that wonderful reading from Isaiah in our first lesson this morning. And it is before this God it is before this God that we fall down and worship. The heights of Mount Everest, the depths of the Grand Canyon, the stars, the moon, the galaxies, cannot be compared to the glory and the awesome power of our God. This is the God to whom we relate. This is the God to whom we pray. This is the God whom we adore above all things. Yet God is also made known to us in other sometimes surprising ways. Let's skip over Jesus for a moment because I want to look at the Holy Spirit. Now, we Lutherans never know quite what to make of the Holy Spirit. If you go to a Pentecostal church, they speak of the Spirit all the time. And some of them even live out the gifts of the Spirit through the speaking of tongues and prophecy. We Lutherans, however, we like to be a little more ordered and structured, and we don't tend to get excited about too many things. The spirit moving among us might just create a sense of excitement in us, and that wouldn't be very Lutheran at all. But who is this spirit? 
Well, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which is actually a feminine word. Perhaps, therefore, we can see the spirit as she is, she who is the giver of life itself, the one who breathes life into all creation, just as life was breathed into creation when we read in Genesis, God breathed on the waters. He ruach, he used his ruach, his very breath, to bring life to creation. And think about that wonderful story that we find where Ezekiel is told to come to these bones. And he's asked again and again, now that the bones have sinew, are they alive? And he says, no. What do they need? They need breath. They need the breath of God. They need God's ruach. They need God's breath to bring them life. But the spirit can also be translated as wind. We cannot see the wind. We cannot touch it. We cannot grab a hold of it. But we can feel it. We can see its effect and its power. It can blast like a hurricane, or it can be as gentle as a summer breeze. But it is still the wind. And we need this spirit. For without it, we are lifeless and flat. We are like a sail hanging limp or a windsock trailing. But with the wind, with the wind, we are alive. With the wind, we are full, vibrant, soaring, sailing. With the spirit, there should be no stopping us. The spirit is breath, the breath that is inside you the breath that comes out of you. Indeed, every breath that you breathe is the spirit living and moving in you. The one who created us, the one who created us lives and breathes within us, sustaining us every moment of every day of our lives. But the spirit does even more. In the third article of the creed, Luther tells us that it is the spirit who works in the church, in the communion of saints. It is the Spirit who offers forgiveness of sins. It is the Spirit who promises resurrection and life everlasting. All this, then, is the work of the Spirit, the work of the church down through the ages, the sustaining of this congregation since its being to this very day is the work of the Spirit. So are the lives and the teachings of the saints and the holy ones who have gone before us. So is the forgiveness that is forever sought by repentant hearts. So is the power of Christ at work in our lives. All of this, all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Luther goes on to explain in his third article of the Creed. He says, I cannot by my own reason or understanding come to know Jesus Christ, my Lord. That is, by myself, he's saying, by myself, I can't even figure out who this Jesus is. But, he says, the Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and makes holy the one people of God and sustains us in the true faith. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit calling us together, enlightening, sanctifying us, and making us holy. In other words, the only reason we're here today is that the Holy Spirit stirred our hearts, called us here, and continues to call us through the word of the sacraments in order to bring us closer to God.
The Spirit is powerful in our lives. Do not underestimate the power of the Spirit. Remember when I spoke last week about that fire at Pentecost, when that fire came and rose up suddenly and almost consumed everything around it. The power of the Spirit is the power of that fire. The power of the Spirit is the power within us. The power of the Spirit is the life of the church. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. But speaking of power, brings us back to that intersection between the vertical and the horizontal. This intersection where indeed it is the heart of Christ living. The living, pumping, breathing, feeling, loving heart of God is Jesus. The one who shows us what it means to live in relationship with God and wants to be in relationship with us. And who is this Jesus? Once again, it seems appropriate to quote Luther's explanation in the small catechism when he says, quote, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, son of the Father from eternity, and true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. At great cost, Luther says, at great cost, he has saved and redeemed me, a lost and condemned person. He has freed me from sin and death and the power of the devil, not with silver or gold, but with holy and precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. All this he has done, says Luther, all this he has done that I might be his own. Just think about that. Just think about how it was that Christ did all that just for you. And he did this. He did this because he knows that human beings make messes in their lives and that none of us is without sin. Indeed, Jesus knew full well that we all need God's forgiveness and his grace. And so he came to save us. He came to save you and he came to save me. And in doing so, Jesus invites us into a relationship with him and he offers us his free gift of grace. Now, we Lutherans claim that we know all about grace, how we are justified by grace through faith. But do we understand? Do we understand just how important this grace is in our lives? The world stresses hard work, making it on your own, striving to achieve. But we Lutherans understand, we Lutherans understand that at the heart of the gospel, the good news is that God comes to us in Jesus, offering us this free gift of forgiveness, offering to save us from the messes we have got ourselves into, offering us a completely new beginning. In addition, God offers us the opportunity to live in relationship with him, a deep, intimate, passionate, exciting relationship with him. And he does all of this, not because we are perfect, not because we deserve it, but because he desires it for us. That is grace. That is our gift from Jesus. 
So what does all this tell us about this mystery we call the Holy Trinity? Well, first it tells us about a God who is mystery itself, who is unfathomable, and who is deeper and wider than our minds can ever comprehend. Then it tells us about a God who is the very breath of life itself, living and moving within us. And it tells us about a God who exists in community, in relationship, and wants us to share that relationship with him. So come now, make the sign of the cross, for you were baptized in the sign of the cross when the pastor took that water and poured it on your head and then took that oil and made the sign of the cross on your forehead and said, you are a child of God forever. Make the sign of the cross because it will remind you, as Luther says so often, of the Holy Trinity, the one who has come to create you, sustain you, and redeem you. For you are baptized in the triune name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So come this day. Come this day that you might be born again from above in the Spirit. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, come that you will know that you are a child of God. Come and know that you are an heir of God's kingdom. Come this day that you might share in God's love for you who gave his only son to die for us, that we might have eternal life. Come this day and share the gifts of grace, the gift of new life, which is the Holy Trinity. And do all of this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us confess our faith in the words of the Athanasian Creed. Whoever wants to be saved should above all cling to the Catholic faith, Whoever does not guard it whole and inviolable will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith. We worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. But the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, uncreated is the Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal. So there are not three uncreated or unlimited beings, but one who is uncreated and unlimited. Almighty, Almighty is the Son, Almighty is the Spirit. And yet there are not three almighty beings, but one who is almighty. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. And yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. Father was not made nor created. 
created Thus there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three spirits. And in all, no one is before or after, greater or less than the other, but all three persons are in themselves co-eternal and co-equal. So we must worship the Trinity in unity and the one God in three persons. Whoever wants to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. It is necessary for eternal salvation. The one also faithfully believed that our Lord Jesus became flesh. For this is the true faith that we believe and confess. That our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man. He is from the being of his Father. He is man, born in the world, from the being of his mother, existing fully as God and fully as man, with a rational soul and a human body, equal to the Father in divinity, subordinate to the Father in humanity. He suffered death for our salvation. He descended into hell and rose again from his death. At his coming, all people shall rise bodily to give an account of their own deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life. Those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. One cannot be saved without believing this firmly in faith. 